subtle skills, big results. Welcome to the Ninja Selling Podcast. Welcome back to the Ninja Selling Podcast. Garrett and Matt are back with you again, and we are excited to be sharing our time with you. We've got some great information to talk about today. In the meantime, if you want to learn more about Ninja Selling and where all of this comes from, go check out ninjaselling.com. Yeah, you can learn all about upcoming events, classes there. If you want to learn more about coaching, you can also go to ninjaselling.com or you can go to ninjacoaching.com and you will find us and all of our wonderful coaches. And we will be here to support you on your journey with Ninja. And if you want to find like-minded individuals just like yourself that listen to the podcast, please go to Facebook, go to the Ninja Selling Podcast group, and you will find all of them in there, 13,000 people that you can share ideas with, you can bounce different strategies around with, and you can also share your marketplace with them and get some help around that type of stuff. Amazing group of people there to help support everybody. In the meantime of you checking out all that information, you get to listen to Matt and I. So Matt, good morning. Good morning, Garrett. Good morning. How are you, sir? I'm good, man. Doing well. Been a crazy week, but it's all good stuff. We're bouncing around and I got the the correct part for my motor that I'm working on, which I'm very excited about. That's sweet, man. That is a good <laughs> good day when that happens. <laughs> I thought I'd lost my mind. I had this part and it's supposed to work and it's supposed to work and you can try it like 20 times and then you actually find out the part was made wrong and you're like, oh, it's not me at all. It's the manufacturer. So uh, that's my good day, man. Always good to find that out. These are the things that you learn when you're doing things yourself. I mean, you know, obviously a lot more about cars than the average person and certainly myself. But like when you're learning something new, it's like you don't know what's not working until like you just go through a whole ton of trial and error to figure it out. And you're like, well, I guess it must be this part. <laughs> well, it's hard when you're learning too. So this is kind of a funny thing as you everybody's experiencing Ninja and growing with Ninja too. It's like having a part that you feel is the right one. You feel every bit of you says this should work. This is the right way. And to find out that it wasn't the right piece at all, you second guess yourself. The whole time you're sitting there, I've been sitting in my garage going, did I do this wrong? Did I do this wrong? Is this not right? Should I even be doing this? Like I had that thought like, dude, you may just not be an engine builder. Like that just may not be you. And then part of me is going like, this isn't rocket science. Like I can figure this out. And the amount of self-talk that rolls through your head, the amount of doubt of, like, should I even be trying this? Like, who am I to think that I can do this? I have other things to be doing too. Like, part of me is going like, this either's got to work or I got to move on with other stuff because like I have too much, too many things going on. So to have it work, it's like one of those like, oh, okay, I'm actually okay. Yeah, no, I, I get it, right? The prioritization of things, which is... Well, interesting, you, you mentioned things that maybe or may not be working. Yeah. Sometimes we get into a contractual situation. See, see what I'm doing here? Look at that flow ride. Yeah, that was very smooth. Where there's something included that all of a sudden throws us for a loop. And we're like, wait a minute, what is this in here and how am I supposed to handle this? And of course, we're talking about contingencies as they are rolling back. I mean, a lot of people are like, well, I've had contingencies back in my market for a long time, but I'm just, they're definitely a lot more prevalent even though inventory is still pretty darn low in a lot of places. Well, I again, I think we should start this off with we are seeing every market get its very unique shape right now. If there's a long time here, really actually since before COVID, we were watching very similar marketplaces all over the United States. When COVID hit, 
everything went the same. Like every the playing yeah. field was leveled in this odd way <laughs> and everything was about the same. Depending if you had more condos or more single family residents, that changed things up a little bit. Now here we're coming into this marketplace that everything's getting its unique fingerprint again. So yes, as we talk about contingencies and maybe somebody having to sell this other house before they can buy this new house, that might not have gone away in your market. That might also be very prevalent. It might be something you're not seeing at all yet. The reason this is coming up is I have been hearing little glimmers of this out here. And then yesterday I was talking with a gentleman that he actually uh, pushed it pretty hard. He said, I, I just had three buyers bring me offers and every one of them had a house that was contingent to sell before they could buy this house. And the more I talked to him, the more I realized that he did not see how to handle that, the questions that he could ask, the different level of negotiation that was just added in his transaction that he could choose to negotiate with, or he could just be like, okay, yep, they've got a house to sell. And just moving along as that's part of the transaction. And I was like, what? Oh my gosh, tell me about this house that they got to sell. And by the lack of information around it, and it wasn't a fault of his, he just hasn't been taught how to do them. He hasn't had to do this. Yeah. It was a very interesting thing to kind of go like, ooh, we have a large part of the population of realtors out here right now that may have never dealt with this, Matt. Yeah. When I was selling, that was like, oh yeah, they have a contingent house to sell. That's pretty much every single transaction that I get. Yeah. So like, well, we, we already knew that. Let's put some parameters around a timeline and stamp this thing and let's go. But it is very interesting, particularly, I mean, as the market has evolved, just as how it operates, right? You know, not just through these, these times we've had, but how we do deals and how we negotiate is a little bit different today than it was 20 years ago. And when it comes to how we negotiate, I think because... Was that a crack in my age? No, no, nor mine, by the way. Okay, sorry. I know I wasn't selling real estate 20 years ago, but... I thought that was a poke at me. I'm sorry, I interrupted. Keep going. No, no, no. But I mean, I guess it could be now that I'm thinking about it because... I'm sensitive. I could have said a decade ago, which would have still been in my range of selling real estate, but you know, well... That sounds longer. <laughs> Keep going. Sorry. Because I think the way we've just kind of evolved and how we use technology, how we make decisions and how we look at the way products and services are presented to us, a lot of negotiation right now is yes, no. Mm -hmm. Oh, they presented a home sale contingency. Seller doesn't want a home sale contingency. Okay. Well, if you're in a situation like you just described, you have three offers, all of which have home sale contingencies. Are you going to say no to all of them? Or... Are we going to find out more information? Which this is where a lot of people don't go that extra mile. So you have a home sale contingency offer here, Garrett. Like, what are the things that we should be looking into and asking? Well, where should our head be here? What are the things that we don't know that we need to know? Well, it's funny. The minute he said this, my brain went to like, well, tell me about the homes that are contingent in this offer now. Like, what are they? And by the, the lack of information I was hearing, I was like, oh my gosh, here's the opportunity. So like for me, it's like, I want to know everything about it. It's like wh whatever you've got to sell over there, that is now a ripple in my sale of this house. Like, yes, I'm going to accept your offer, but this thing now has to come together to make my deal work. So if I'm going to bother to accept this offer, I got to know everything about that. Tell me everything. I want to see your marketing. I want to see your all your... Pricing analysis. Your information that you've pulled for comps. Yep. I want to see all of it. 
this is where things, and we're going to do a little shout out to Focus First. Like, if you're the buying side and you have an awesome Focus First breakdown on this property about how you priced it, you know, the scattergrams around it, the price lines, and all that type of stuff, and you're making your offer and you can present it with this thing and say, look, this is the house that's contingent right now on us buying your property. Here's all the information so you understand why we've priced it this way, why it's it. Oh my goodness. Like, oh. Because here's the the last thing the listing agent really wants to do is the homework on your contingent house, right? Like they don't want to go down that path. I recommend that people do put the time and effort in to figure this out, but they don't want to do it. Make decisions easy for people. And that's a great point, Garrett. If you're the buying agent, come with the information to make it easy for them to say, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Not just we have a house we have to sell to be able to buy your house. Hey, what do you think about our offer? Don't do that to them. Oh, we'll figure it out. Oh, we haven't listed it yet. I just heard that one. Yeah. We're going to talk about that once we get through this offer. Like, If you accept our offer, then we're going to figure out what we need to do to get their house on the market. I just heard about that one where somebody else had said like they received an offer and they said it's contingent on our house selling, but it's not listed yet. They said, Lily, go away list your house and come back with an offer once that thing's on the market. But I, I don't want to list my house until I know I have a place to go. Yeah. Sorry. Which I, I get that too. And we, we've done a podcast on that one. Well, here's the interesting thing, Garrett. And then I want you to continue on with what you were saying, because understanding the home sale contingency is understanding the financial qualifications of this buyer. Yep. Because if you have a buyer who thinks, oh, if I sell my house for 500, I'm going to be good to go on this house. But if the house can't sell for anything more than 450 and that makes them unqualified to purchase the house, we have a serious problem in that contract. And so these are things that we need to know. So continue on. We want to know everything. We want to know marketing. We want to know comps. We want to know strategy. What else? So I think we need to come back though at some point here to your financial qualification because I think that's a bigger box that I think we can unpack. Then we might kind of just tailor right into it here because I I look at it also as is that if I have enough information as the listing side and I can explain this to my sellers that by the way we're not just dealing with the house on the other end like we now have the ability of calling some shots over there I can ask them to change things about that now here's the thing I can only ask them right now like in this time of negotiation, this is my time to ask for whatever we want to have them to do. If I want to write in that that property needs to reduce in price by $50,000 every five days until it is sold, like I can negotiate that right now. I can't negotiate that once that we have you know, basically come together on a contract here and we've agreed that they're going to sell this house and we're basically sitting here and waiting on it right now. Well, I think that depends on timelines too how you negotiate the timeline for something like, hey, totally does this price for these two weeks, right? Then we're going to talk about it again. Yes. And you can you can put it out there like that. But I think that upfront of setting the stage, so it's like, okay, my seller knows that we're on the right track here. These guys, how badly do they want this house? What does this mean to them here? Yeah. And I think right now we are still in a position, I know a lot of people over the last couple Years here, I've heard people say, we need to change the parameters on what's a neutral market and what's a seller's market and what's a buyer's market. I don't think it's six months anymore. I think it's more like the neutral marks, like right around three months or four months. No, it's not. It's six months. And what you're going to learn right now- And who cares? Quite frankly. <laughs> but here's the interesting thing, just as a as a guide, 
pretty much until we crossed that neutral mark, the sellers still had the upper hand. So even though the buyers are bringing a contingency into this right now, and you're like, oh, look, they can bring a contingency now. Like They've got more parameters they can work with because that used to not even be acceptable. Yeah, but you can still call shots that you would not never be able to call totally. in a buyer's market. Because in my market that I used to sell in, if you got a contingency that came through that deal, we didn't ask a whole lot of questions because that was the only offer that we saw in 30 days. And we're like, we'll take it. We'll take it. Yeah, it was basically like, okay, write a first refusal and let's go. Yep. All right, perfect. Great. That was really what it came down to. And you just like, all right, we at least we have a contract, right? It might take six months for this thing to close. And if something comes in, we can always give them right of first refusal, but at least we have a contract, right? Yes. So it's like we they still have the upper hand right now. So use that to your ability as the negotiation for your sellers. Yeah. Don't just assume just because this marketplace is adjusting and it's shifting that all of a sudden the powers now all shift to the buyers. And that's the reason I like looking at the months of inventory, Matt, because it's a really good gauge. It really is. Of what they're experiencing out there in when it just basic supply and demand economics of like, you can go like, okay, we still have the ability of pushing this and the numbers are in our favor. When it crosses into seven, eight months worth of inventory, you got to be careful. Like we, yeah. we might be pushing this too far and actually damaging our seller. Yeah. Because I mean, ultimately too, I mean, when you look at it, the not only the absorption rate, but the amount of of homes available, which is going to be different in it, each market. Like it's not like if the buyer is unsuccessful in negotiating out this deal, they can just go find a very similar home around the corner. In a lot of cases, they cannot, at least not right now. And for you as the seller, even though you're in position, we also want to eliminate that fear of, well, what if something else comes on the market for these buyers? Because it could. And if you negotiate a weak contract. Then in two weeks when their house isn't sold and your neighbor's house, which is a lot better, hits the market, the buyer goes, oh, you know what? Let's buy that house instead. Our house is still on the market anyway. Let's do that house. And that is a risk you play. But I think coming back to this financial component too, some basic things that we need to know on the listing side, if we're going to enter in a contract with a contingency is what's owed on that property. Oh, Because that way we're going to be able to determine the equity. Because a lot of times the reason why it's contingent is the down payments coming from there. And as we say, when you're financially qualifying people, we always want proof of funds and a letter from a lender that has a pre-approval, not just like one of these blanket pre-qualifications based on what they told the lender. Now, sometimes the lender will do the work for you and let you know all that stuff, but because the lender's going to have to qualify based on what's paying out, but also what are going to be the expenses associated with that sale over there? Because, okay, your house is worth X, you owe this, what's going to be your cost of closing that house? Because that's going to impact the down payment, particularly if that person is trying to qualify with all that equity to put into a down payment. And I know this, a lot of people are going like, oh my gosh, like Matt, enough of the spreadsheets and this analytical stuff. It's like, okay, but this is important to know if you're going to size up particularly three different offers that are all contingent. You got one person sitting on 50K in equity and another person sitting on 200K in equity. I know which one's way more attractive to me. Because they got margin to move that price if the market shifts in the next couple of weeks because they have more down payment available to them. They're probably going to be more willing to move that if they truly want this house, they have the means to move it versus if they have that narrow margin in equity, they may get stuck even if they really want the house. So even more so than the spreadsheets, Matt, and I think this is where a lot of people might be kind of looking at this market and hearing what you're saying right now going, oh my gosh, like... 
this is so much more moving parts. There's so much more here that we got to be doing. And and I do think this marketplace that we've been in here for a while has been a little ridiculous. <laughs> just a little bit. With the times when real estate is what we've just recently watched for the last couple of years here, it's actually the marketplaces where you'll watch computer algorithms and things like that try to take over the real estate transaction because it didn't take very much of all this analyzing and this figuring out, okay, of what is this person bringing to the table compared to this person over here, compared to this person over here, and, and how much cash are they coming with? How much equity do they have? What are their loan to, you know, debt to loan over here? Like, What are all these pieces that they're working with so that you can sit there and say, I'm going to put my sellers in the best position possible? And I look at this marketplace, there's a whole other episode that I'd like to do around this, Matt, but these are the marketplaces where you get to be people's trusted advisor. These are the marketplaces where you get to be that person with the deep smarts that knows what's going on, yeah. that is the highly educated you know, leader around this stuff. When you're just an order taker, order takers can be replaced all day long. That's an easy thing to you know create a computer algorithm to help you with or software to help you with. But when it comes down to this type of stuff... And this is what I like to refer to as like having a gut feeling about things. The more of these deals you see, also the more of these like contingent offers that you have come across your desk, there's certain things that you're going to start to see because you see them enough where you're like, that's a good one. That's a good one. We need to stay away from that one. And you might be able to show it on paper. You might also just because you've seen enough of them be able to go because there's something not right about it. Like there's something that's off. These are the ways we need to go. This is where like you create raving fans, these marketplaces that we're stepping into right now. And this is why it's good to understand this stuff. It's good to get good at all these things. Oh, yeah. If I was anybody out there right now, I would be taking the time to highly educate myself around you know, working with somebody that has a contingent offer that comes in. Talk to some of the, the veteran agents in your office and sit down and talk to them about strategies that they've used when they were dealing with more of those types of deals coming across the desk and learn from them. Uh, managing brokers, learn from them. Because Matt, like, there's just it just opens up a whole nother side of parameters around this transaction that they're about to get into. It really does. Well, and coming back to the buy side as well, knowing that it's still in most places a seller's market, right? And you're like, okay, I got a buyer who just, they have a contingency. Okay, great. Know what you're going into and be very prepared, not just with that price analysis from Focus First or whatever program you use, but also with how are you going to showcase to the seller that you can mitigate risk in certain ways among the contract? Because there's all these different things in there that you can use in terms of earnest money, non-refundable, in timelines, right of first refusal, all of these things that can help you negotiate from a position of strength, even though a lot of these things are kind of like giving things away in a sense. But remember, it's all in favor of getting the thing that your clients really, truly want, which is that house, which I would back up to having these conversations with your clients early, early, early and upfront. Because the last thing that you want to do is be writing a contract with a buyer for their contingency and be like, okay, are we ready to tell them how much we owe on this loan? Are we ready to tell them all these things? Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't know we were like telling them all this stuff about us. And then all of a sudden they get nervous, the cold feet happen and just negotiations don't go well. And so upfront with your buyers, and this is probably also a whole nother podcast. And I think we've touched on it on many, many podcasts recently, but having 
really good detailed conversations up front about, hey, this is how this process might go. Here's some situations we'll run into that we want to be prepared for. The more prepared, and it doesn't take a long time to have these conversations either. It's not like, oh, we have to go do some digging to figure out how much we owe on this property. Like, nope, that's really easy. Just open up your mail. Yeah, we can figure that out. <laughs> like, it's it's right there. So I love it. The one last thing I want to add in around this, Matt, because again, I, I think that some agents, as these start to come up, they might be looking at this again as a negative thing. Like, it's like, oh, gosh, contingencies. No, it's great. I'm or it's not it's just a thing. It's not great or bad. It's just a thing. But here's another side that like when I look at the bigger global market and why it's a really good thing, marketplace that we were just in, well, what happened was is somebody says, Okay, we want to buy, but we can't buy until we sell. So our only option is putting that home on the market, getting it sold, and now we are a buyer with cash in hand. We can now go buy a house. In this marketplace that we're starting to tiptoe into, if we fully enter it, we'll see what happens with this. But now what happens is we have people that go, oh, we can now write an offer contingent. Let's get our house on the market right now, which opens up inventory. The first one, we have a lot of people sitting and saying, I'm not willing to take that risk of being homeless. This now allows people to say, oh, we can now work this situation so maybe we won't be homeless. We can put our home on the market and search for a house at the same time, which all the other buyers out there now get a house now that maybe not have hit the market here a little while back, now all of a sudden hit the market. This is a really healthy thing to have. This is why crazy one-month inventory markets are not healthy. And everybody's like, isn't this great? And I keep going, this is dangerous. This is not a healthy place we've been in here right now. Limits the availability of inventory. You're absolutely right. So you're like, I just don't want to do that. This is going to open up opportunity. It's going to open up inventory. It does a lot of stuff out there that's so good. So I'm really excited when somebody was saying to me again that they're starting to see contingent offers come through again. I'm like, Oh, thank you. Like that will help us out so much if the marketplaces get comfortable again. And it can only happen with the raising inventory. Yeah. Taking a little bit of power away from the sellers. And then we're going to bring even more inventory on it. It could push us over to a buyer's market, but it's okay. It could. It definitely could. I mean, it depends on where you are. And if you guys are in the Facebook community, which just go onto Facebook and search for the Ninja Selling Podcast. On the comments of this episode, you can maybe just drop in buyer's seller's market in your area to kind of give us an indication on those localities because we can look at pricing stats. We can look at new listing stats. There's a lot of stats that we can look at, but you guys understanding the absorption rate in your local markets is really what's going to give the indication of what's going on. I'll say here in Charleston, we're not we're not even close. I'm going to ask this. If you are going to comment on what your marketplace is, you need to put the actual months of inventory that you're currently working with, which means you're going to need to do a little math. There you go. Yeah. Your MLS that will sometimes provide that math. You can always pull the numbers and do the math yourself. And sometimes your brokerage will do the math for you. But do not just come on and say, we're in a seller's market. We're in a buyer's market. Because I find more often than not, until you do the numbers, you really don't know. And you also don't know how extreme it is. Context is required. Context is very required. There needs to be numbers behind it. Because people say, oh gosh, prices are, are going down. We're in a total buyer's market. It's like, are you? Like, I, prices are going down. That doesn't necessarily mean buyer's market. Yep. It's easy to jump to a conclusion on it. And you just, you need the numbers to really understand what we're dealing with. Yeah. 
That's what I was just, I'm like, oh, the jump to conclusions, Matt. <laughs> oh man, I love it. Well, um, anything else you want to throw on this one, Garrett? No, I think this is good. I'm happy we got to go down this route. I think it's just one of those things that uh, just be aware, understand what your market is and educate yourself. Yeah. The ones that are able to adapt to change are going to master the marketplaces in front of us. Those of you that are not willing to change will be perfectly adapt to a market that no longer exists anymore. So move forward. Great point. Have fun out there. Learn, grow, help your people. Awesome. I love it. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Ninja Selling Podcast. We appreciate everybody who listens. We appreciate you guys sharing these episodes with your colleagues, with other people, with your family. We love hearing all like the, hey, we listen here, listen there. Those of you who made it through all the episodes, hey, I don't know what I'm going to do now. I've been listening to you guys every day, like 24 hours a day, nonstop, which I don't know how you do that, but that's awesome. But really appreciate you guys for reviewing it and sharing it, all that great stuff. If you want to learn more about Ninja, head over to ninjaselling.com and we'll catch you on the next episode. Take care, y'all. Thanks, everyone. If you enjoyed today's episode and would like more, visit us at the ninjasellingpodcast.com. There you will also find links for more information about ninja selling and coaching. Have an incredible day.